ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم اما بعد Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He swears in the Quran by the time When Allah azza wa jal He states وَلَعَصُرْ إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لَفِي خُسْرٍ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ وَتَوَاسُوا بِالْحَقِّ وَتَوَاسُوا بِالصَّبْرِ Allah he swears by the time by the time indeed all of mankind is lost except for those who believe and do righteous deeds encourage one another with the truth and encourage one another with patience Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he swears by Amara, the scholars, they stated that this is an indication of the importance of that matter. And the benefit connected to that matter or that affair. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he swears by the time And time Is something in which The events take place Time is Something in which your worship Of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Takes place in And therefore it's important that we all be mindful of our time and that we do not waste our time on that which is of no benefit. For a person on the day of judgment, he'll be questioned about his time or her time. A person will be questioned about his life, how did he live? A person will be questioned about his youth. How did he spend his youth? A person will be questioned about these affairs on the Day of Judgment. And Shaykh al-Islam ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, Wasting time is more severe than death. 
لأن الموت يقطعك عن الدنيا وضيع الوقت يقطعك عن الله He said that the reason why wasting time is more severe than death because death it only cuts you off from the life of this world whereas wasting time it cuts you off from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala So with that being mentioned, we see the importance of taking advantage of one's time and not wasting one's time in this life. As the life of this world is short. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he mentioned, أَعْمَارْ هَذِهِ الْأُمَّةِ بين بين الستين والسبعين سنة وقليل من يجاوز that the age or the average lifespan of this nation is between sixty and seventy years of living and few people go beyond that meaning few people live beyond 70. Most of the people, they live in between 60 and 70 years of age. That's not a lot of time, especially in comparison to how people used to live for hundreds of years from the times of old. Here it is, the majority of the people will not reach 100 years old so life life is short so one must take advantage of his life of his time as the prophet sallallahu he mentioned in his advice take advantage of five before five Take advantage of your youth before your old age. And take advantage of your health before your sickness. And take advantage of your free time before becoming preoccupied. And take advantage of your richness before your poverty. And take advantage of your life before your death. Advice from the Prophet ﷺ to take advantage of these five affairs before five matters come. And this is no light matter because at the end it's a 
an affair of your destination. Where are you going? To the paradise or to the hellfire? So with that being said, and Allah swearing by the time, it shows how important time is. And also we have the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala once again swearing by time. Right? And again, that's an indication of the importance of the time. And then again, as the scholars, they mentioned, whenever Allah swears by an affair, it's an indication of the importance of that matter. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he mentions وَالْفَجْرِ وَلَيَالِ الْعَشْرِ وَالشَّعْفِ وَالشَّفْعِ وَالْوَاتْرِ وَالْلَيْلِ إِذَا يَصْرِ هَلْ فِي ذَلِكَ قَصَمٌ لِذِي حِجْرِ Allah, he swears by the, t- by the time here, Fajr. By the dawn, by the Fajr. Some ulama, they say, this is Allah swearing by Himself. Meaning by the Lord of Fajr. As Allah is the Lord of the daybreak. Because He created day and night. Others say that Allah is swearing by Salat al-Fajr. Others say the time of Fajr. Some ulama of tafsir said that Allah is swearing by the Fajr of the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. And all of these matters are important in reality. Every last explanation that has been given is something of great importance. Whether Allah is swearing by Himself, being the Lord of the Fajr, whether Allah is swearing by the Fajr time or the Fajr prayer itself, or whether Allah is swearing by the Fajr of the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. And that's where we want to put the focus on the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. As Allah also mentions, and by the ten nights, meaning the ten nights of the ten days of Dhul Hijjah, the first ten days. So Allah, He swears by this time. And by the even and the odd. Some ulama, they say, the even here is the creation and the odd is Allah. As Allah, He created mankind in pairs. Or created the creation in pairs. And Allah is one and alone. Also, some have mentioned that this is in relation to the different acts of ibadah. As an example, Salat al-Fajr, Salat al 
Dhuhr wal Asr wa Isha are all even number raka'at. Two, four. And then the odd number is Salat al Maghrib, which is three. So Allah is swearing by these different affairs. Even in the odd aspects of a worship. Some say Allah is speaking about the day of Arafah and the day of Eid. Because the day of Eid is on the 10th, which is an even number, and the day of Arafah is on the 9th, which is an odd number. And by the night, as it leaves, isn't there in this swearing sufficiency for the one of sound mind to be awakened from heedlessness? Meaning Allah has mentioned these, these affairs or swearing by these affairs to alert the servant to pay close attention and to take advantage of that which is mentioned in these verses. We have a narration on the authority of Jabir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhuma where he mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu with the Messenger sallallahu he said أَفْضَلُوا أَيَّامِ الدُّنْيَا أَيَّامُ الْعَشْرِ That the best days of this dunya, the best days of the life of this world are the ten days. I mean the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. So we understand from this narration that the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah are the best days of the year with no exceptions. And the last 10 nights of Ramadan are the best nights of the year. Because during those nights is Laylatul Qadr. And that's for the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. We have the commencing of the Hajj. We have the day of Arafah. We have the day of Eid. And other than that, from the acts of Ibadah that are performed during this time. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has established that these days are the best days of the year. And why are these days the best days of the year? This question is answered in the narration of Abdullah bin Abbas radiyallahu anhuma anna nabiya sallallahu alayhi wasallam qal ma min ayyamin al-amal salih فيها أحب إلى الله من هذه الأيام عبد الله بن عباس رضي الله عنهما he mentioned 
that the Prophet ﷺ said, there are no days in which the good deed or the righteous action is more beloved to Allah than these days. Meaning by that, the first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. So it was said, not even al-jihad in the path of Allah. Those actions or the righteous deeds during those days are more beloved or is more beloved to Allah even more than striving in the path of Allah. The Prophet Sallallahu said, وَلَلْجِهَادْ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ إِلَّا رَجُلٌ إِلَّا رَجُلٌ خَرَجَ بِنَفْسِهِ وَمَالِهِ فَلَمْ يَرْجِعْ مِنْ ذَلِكَ بِشَيْءٍ The Prophet said, not even striving in the path of Allah, except for a man who leaves out with his life and his wealth, and he does not return back from that with anything. Meaning what? In Ahsand. So this hadith establishes why the first ten days are the best days of the year. The best days of the dunya. Because during these days, the actions are most beloved to Allah. That's why the first 10 days are the best days of the dunya. This understood? The first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah are the best days of the dunya because the good deeds during these 10 days are most beloved to Allah. So with that being said, when we know that this is a time in which the good deeds are most beloved to Allah, and it's not like doing good deeds during any other time of the year, then this is something that the Muslim should be striving to capitalize to take advantage of because something that should be priority in the life of the Muslim is that the Muslim should always be striving to get closer to Allah the Muslim should always be striving to do that which Allah Azawajal he loves So Allah Azza wa Jal, He has given virtue to these first ten days of Dhul Hijjah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives virtue to whatsoever He wills to give virtue to. As an example, praying 
in Mecca, praying in Al-Masjid Al-Haram, one prayer is equivalent to 100,000 prayers. One prayer. Allah is the one who gave Mecca that virtue, or praying in Mecca that virtue. Praying in the masjid of the Prophet wasallam, it is better than 1,000 prayers. Praying in Masjid Al-Aqsa in Jerusalem, and may Allah give victory to the Muslims to establish Islam strong in Jerusalem. And for Masjid Aqsa to be free from the control and the persecution of the enemies of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I mean, for praying in Masjid Al-Aqsa, one narration mentions 500 and another narration mentions 250 for one prayer in Masjid Al-Aqsa. The point is that Allah is the one who gives the virtues to these places. Or Allah is the one who gives virtue to specific time frames. And that's the will of Allah. And this is actually a mercy from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the believer to increase in his good deeds and to make his scales heavy on the day of judgment. Just imagine, as an example, a person he goes to make Hajj, or a person goes to make Umrah, and he's there in Mecca for two weeks. Right? At least, you're going to be praying 70 prayers. At least. Right? 5 times 7, 35. 35 plus 2 is 70. That's 14 days of prayers. At least 70 prayers. Now, add into that your Qiyamul Or every time you go into the Masjid, you pray to Raqqa'ah. And other than that. 100,000 for each prayer. This is the obligatory prayers as well as the recommended prayers. It's a great reward there. Right? For each prayer, 100,000. So that's what, 7 million? Just for the two weeks of the obligatory prayers. Right? And then not to add you getting up at night and going to the haram and Praying there and waiting for Fajr to come in and reward on top of reward. And that's a, that's a ni'mah, that's a blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon the believer. Now we have the opportunity because Allah Azawajal has given us life. We are alive. We have the opportunity to do good during this time. And to do deeds that are most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
And this is any righteous action. Any righteous action during these first 10 days, Allah is most beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's a different reward for it. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in mentioning that the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah are the best days of the dunya and that the righteous actions during these 10 days are most beloved to Allah even more than a person going out striving in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala this is an encouragement for us to do good during this time. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Qayyim al-Jawziya rahimahullah ta'ala he stated inna ayyam al-ashir al-awal min shahri dhil-hijjah أفضل من أيام العشر الأواخر من شهر رمضان وليالي العشر الأواخر من شهر رمضان خير من ليالي العشر الأول من شهر ذي الحجة شيخ الإسلام بقيم جوزية رحمه الله تعالى he states indeed the first ten days of the month of the Hijjah are better then the last 10 days of the month of Ramadan. And the last 10 nights from the month of Ramadan are better than the first 10 nights of the month of Dhul Hijjah. The scholars, they say that the first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah consist of the first day of Hajj. It consists of the day of Arafah. And it consists of the day of slaughtering, which is the day of Eid, Yawm Nahr. And fasting on the day of Arafah for the one who is not making Hajj, it is recommended. As for the one making Hajj, it's not befitting for them to fast. But for those who are not making Hajj, it is encouraged that they fast. And look what the Prophet ﷺ mentioned. Siyam Yomi Arafah أحتسب على الله أن يكفر السنة التي قبلها والسنة التي بعده سيام يوم عرفة أحتسب على الله أن يكفر السنة التي قبله والسنة التي بعده Another narration mentions when the Prophet was asked about fasting on the day of Arafah, he said, يُكَفِّرُ سَنَةَ الْمَاضِيَةِ وَالْبَاقِيَةِ The first narration, the Prophet, he states, fasting on the day of Arafah, I seek the reward from Allah that He expiates the sins of the year 
that is before it and the sins of the year that is after it. The other narration, when the Prophet ﷺ was asked about fasting on the day of Arafah, he says it expiates the sins of the previous year and the remaining year, the year to come. So this is the virtue of fasting on that day of Arafah. And also there is a narration in which the Prophet ﷺ mentioned ما من يوم أكثر من أن يعتق الله فيه عبد من النار من يوم عرفة that there is no day that has there is no day in which Allah frees a servant from the hellfire in more than the day of Arafah. So this day of Arafah is a day in which Allah frees people from the hellfire. So the likes of these narrations establish why the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah are the best days of the year. And as for the last 10 nights of Ramadan, then during these nights, there is one night that is better than 1,000 months of ibadah. As Allah mentions, Laylatul Qadri Khairun Min Alfi Shahr. That the night of decree is better than 1,000 months of ibadah. So this is a time of year in which a person should be putting forth great effort. There is a narration on the authority of Abdullah bin Abbas radiyallahu anhuma. Qala qala Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam ma min amalin aska in aska inna Allahi wa la a'zama ajran min khayrin ya'maluhu fi ashr al-adha. Abdullah bin Abbas mentioned that the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he stated there is no action that is more pure with Allah nor greater in reward than a matter of good that the servant does during the 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah. So deeds of righteousness or acts of righteousness during these 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah are the most pure of acts with Allah Azza and are the greatest of acts as it relates to reward. The only way to have your action accepted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that the person's action has to be done with sincerity and in accordance with the deen.
And the scholars they have mentioned that the people, when it relates to sincerity and following the sunnah, there are four categories of people. The first category are those who when they perform the acts of worship, they perform the act of worship with Tawheed and in accordance to the Sunnah. They do it for the sake of Allah and they do it following the Sunnah of the Prophet Their deeds are accepted. Then you have a group of people who they do the acts of worship sincerely but they do not do them or perform them correctly. They don't do it in accordance to the sunnah. The action is rejected. And then you have those who they do the act of worship correctly, but they do not do it sincerely. Their actions are rejected also. And lastly are the ones who do not have sincerity, nor do they have correctness in their performing of the acts of ibadah and their actions are also rejected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in striving to do good in these first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah, we must keep these two conditions in mind. That whatever we're doing of worship, of good, it has to be done for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. And secondly, it has to be done in accordance to the teachings of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A matter comes about as it relates to fasting during these days. You have from the ulama who say that no doubt fasting is encouraged during these first 10 days, but more so the 9 out of the 10 because we cannot fast on the day of 8. And they base this upon general texts as well as a specific one. As for the general text, the Prophet said, عَلَيْكَ بِالصَّوْمِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا عِدْلَ لَهُ عَلَيْكَ بِالصَّوْمِ فَإِنَّهُ لَا مِثْلَ لَهُ The Prophet Sallallahu he said, Upon you is fasting, for indeed there is nothing equivalent to it, or there is nothing similar to it. Fasting is a special kind of ibadah, an act of worship that Allah has a special reward for. As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that Allah, he stated that فَإِنَّهُ لِي And the fasting, indeed the fasting is for me, 
and I reward for it. Meaning, He gives Allah gives a special reward for the fasting. Whereas the other acts of ibadah, when a person does good, he gets from ten to seven hundred fold. Fasting is more than that. So based upon the general text, the Prophet ﷺ encouraged a person to fast. And what better time for a person to fast than the first 10 days or during these first 10 days of Dhul Hijjah? Because the acts of worship during these days or during this time is most beloved to Allah And for the sisters, we encourage them to make up their days that they miss from Ramadan right now. Because the reward is going to be greater. The reward is going to be greater for making the days up now more so than other days from the days that were missed in Ramadan. There is a narration on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha where she stated مَا رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ صَائِمًا فِي الْعَشْرِ قَطْتُ She said, I never seen the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam fasting during the first 10 days. Another narration, The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he did not fast the 10 days. So here Aisha has negated that she's seen the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam fasting these ten days. Or that he fasted these ten days. Now we have also another narration on the authority of of Hafsa, the other wife of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and she said, Anna Nabiya Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam kana yasumul ashra. That the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he used to fast the 10 days, the first 10 days. And the reason, excuse me, the reason why 10 is mentioned it's because of what's predominant or like rounding it off because again there's no fasting on the day of Eid so it is mean, she means by this the nine days and not the actual ten so now here we have an apparent contradiction Aisha radiallahu anha she says that she never seen the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam 
fasting the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. And here we have Hafsa saying that the Prophet did fast the 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. How do we bring harmony? And there's another narration also on some of the wives of the Prophet. كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصوم تسعة الحجة ويوم عاشوراء وثلاثة أيام من كل شهر وأول اثنين من الشهر والخميس It was reported on some of the wives or one of the wives of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم that she said the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he used to fast nine, the first nine days of Dhul Hijjah. He used to fast the day of Ashura. He used to fast three days of every month. And he used to fast the first Monday and Thursday of the month. Another narration on Hafsa, she stated, لم يكن يدعهن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم صيام عاشورة والعشرة وثلاثة أيام من كل شهر وركعتين قبل الغداء. Hafsa radiallahu anha, she mentioned there are four things that the Prophet sallallahu he never used to leave off. He never used to leave off fasting on the day of Ashura. He never used to leave off fasting the ten days of Dhul Hijjah, and again meaning the nine out of the ten. He never used to leave off fasting three days of every month and praying two raka'ah before the morning prayer. So again, how do we bring harmony between the negation of Aisha? Well, Aisha saying, she did not see the Prophet ﷺ fasting. She didn't, she never seen him fasting, rather, the 10 days. And that he didn't fast the 10 days. And then the other narration from the other wife of the Prophet ﷺ, that he never left it off and that he did fast these days. What do you say? She's the third wife of the Prophet. 
was Khadija, Sauda, then Aisha. Hafsa came after Aisha. But Aisha was his wife up until the Prophet died, sallallahu The Prophet died in her lap, in her home. Radiallahu anha. So she was there to the end. You know, the Prophet married her. The contract was done in Mecca. And then once they migrated to Medina, and she was ready... Uh, to live with the Prophet, then the marriage was consummated in Medina. She, so she was there with the Prophet from that time until the end. So how do we bring our ministry? Because of course, our deen is perfect and there are, there are no contradictions in our deen. But if, let's just say, an adversary of Islam, they want to try to prove that there are contradictions in the deen, and the person brings these two narrations. So there is a contradiction in the deen. One, you got one report where the Prophet's wife, she says she never seen the Prophet fast on the ten days of the Hajjah. And then another wife, she says that he never left it off. The brother, he said, first thing the brother asks, are the narrations authentic? And that's a great question. Because sometimes it will, you'll find two texts apparently contradicting one another. And one of the things that have to be looked at is, are that both texts sahih? Like as, as it relates to hadith. Are both texts sahih? Sometimes one text is sahih and the other one is not sahih. One narration is sahih, the other narration is not sahih. Right? So you look at all these narrations, both of these narrations authentic or what? So now that's an easy way to resolve if one narration is uh, not authentically reported on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi and the other one is. It's an easy response. That narration is not authentically reported on the Prophet Sallallahu But in this case, The narrations The narrations are sound both of them both of them So now what do we look at how to bring harmony What you mentioned is the issue of abrogation Shaykh Uthaymeen, rahimahullah ta'ala, and other scholars, 
they mention that in order to establish abrogation for one text over another, there must be two conditions met. The first condition, you can't, you're not able to bring harmony between the two. And the second is the establishment of a timeline. There is a way to bring harmony between the two texts here. And that is what the brother mentioned. Aisha radiallahu anha, she negated seeing the prophet praying, excuse me, the prophet fasting during 10 days of Dhul Hijjah. But her negating her seeing the Prophet ﷺ fasting or being aware of him fasting doesn't mean that it didn't happen. She's only reporting what she didn't see and what she wasn't aware of. As the scholars they mentioned, فَلَعَلَّهَا لَمْ تَرَ ذَلِكَ مِنْهُ Perhaps she did not see that from him. And then there is a principle when it comes to understanding the text and situations. And that principle is المثبت يقدم على النافي the one who confirms something is given precedence over the one who negates something. Example. Sheikh Ibrahim, he came to the masjid earlier. But the people didn't see him, or the majority of the people didn't see him. Someone comes and say, Did Sheikh Ibrahim come to the masjid today? So the people say, No, he wasn't. We didn't, he didn't come today. We didn't see him today. But he was here. He came before Dhuha prayer. He was, he was here in the masjid. And a brother who cleans, who comes early and cleans, seen him. He came in and then he left. So then that brother comes and says, I seen him. He was here. So here you have 20 people saying they didn't see him, but we have this one person saying that I did see him. And the one person is truthful. It doesn't necessarily have to be that somebody's lying. Both are telling the truth according to what they know. The people who were asked, who didn't see him, they said, no, he didn't come. Because they didn't see him. So they're speaking about what they know. Like, since we've been in the masjid, he didn't come. We haven't seen him. But because of them, because of them not seeing him, doesn't mean he didn't come at all. Because he was seen earlier. So... Aisha radiallahu anha negating her seeing the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam fast 
does not necessarily mean that he didn't fast because you have from another reliable source his wife Hafsa that he did fast so this is one way the scholars bring harmony or resolve the apparent contradiction between the two texts. Aisha, she didn't see. She wasn't aware. Because remember, fasting is a hidden act of worship. Sometimes you see, but you won't even know they're fasting unless they say something. So you do have uh, some of Ahlul Ilm, some of the scholars and those who follow that opinion who stop at the narration of Aisha and they hold it that one should not fast uh, during this time because the Prophet didn't fast, it's not encouraged. In any event, if a person does take that position that the Prophet, he did not fast, so therefore they're not going to fast tell you there's no harm but don't try to force your opinion on someone else because you have the narration of Hafsa and someone may be going with that narration that the prophet did fast 
sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. These type of affairs and the matters of jurisprudence, you know, there's leeway for differing. And it should not lead to people arguing and uh, bickering and boycotting and I'm not going to speak to you because you know, you're fasting and Aisha says she never seen the Prophet fast. And the person says, well, I'm not going to speak to you because Hafsa said the Prophet fasted and you're not fasting. This is not the way. It's not the way. But in general, it is encouraged that a person fasts uh, during this time because, again, these days are the best days of the year and the righteous actions are encouraged during this time. Saturday should be fast because there is a narration that mentions that a person should not fast on Saturday unless it is an obligatory fast. لا تصوموا يوم السبت إلا في مفترض عليكم وإن لم يجد أحدكم إلا لحاء عنبة أو عود شجرة فليمضغه This narration mentions do not pass on Saturdays except a fast that has been obligated upon you. Do not fast on Saturdays except a fast that has been obligated upon you. So the day of Arafah is not an obligatory fast. And the narration goes on to say, even if you can only find a grape stalk or twigs of a tree, then let him chew on it to make sure that he's not fasting. Shaykh al-Albani, rahimahullah, he declared the narration to be authentic. And he was of the opinion that 
One is not to fast on Saturday, even if Arafah was on Saturday or the day of Ashura was Saturday, because it's not an obligatory fast. And other scholars they say, well, no, that doesn't mean that. Sheikh Alabani, he was strong on his position of not fasting uh, on Saturdays except for an obligatory fast and uh, there is a, a discussion between him and another scholar, Sheikh Abdul Muhsin Al-Badr about Siyam Yom Asabt fasting on Saturdays, like they're going back and forth and uh, Sheikh, you know he, he, he was, wasn't budging and, and the Sheikh asked him, well, what about if Arafah or Ashura, you know, the virtuous days falls on his day? You know, you, you want to miss out on the reward. So Sheikh Alabani said, and paraphrasing, the, uh, the Prophet mentioned, Man taraka shay'in illa'awwadhuhullahu khayran min. <laughs> Whoever leaves something for the sake of Allah, Allah will replace it with something better. So he says, I'm leaving off the fast for, for Allah's sake. So I'm going to get my reward for not fasting on Saturday. <laughs> so Sheikh Abdul Mursin, he said to him, he said, who preceded you from the scholars with this position here? And I remember when I first heard it, I said, "Here yeah, he got the sheikh there." Mm-hmm. I thought that I thought that to myself. I said, "He got the sheikh on that one." The sheikh said, "The companion who narrated the narration, <laughs> he preceded me. He's the one who narrated it." I said, "Subhanallah, man! You know, I mean, like the love it just increased, you know, for for Sheikh Abba and Sheikh Abdul Musan." And, and mashallah, it was a, it was a uh, a beautiful exchange between two great scholars, you know, and showing the mannerisms of how, like when you differ with your your brother on the issue, how to debate with your brother in a manner that's best. But you have some ulama they say the hadith is is not authentic, so that's how they get out of that issue. Others have mentioned, yes, the hadith is sound, however, it is not to be understood in an unrestricted sense. Meaning that, there are exceptions to the rule. It is mentioned that what is uh, disliked is for a man or for a person to single out Saturday for fasting. That is because the Yahud, they venerate this day of fasting. So we shouldn't just single out Saturday for fasting, like honoring this day. So the Prophet said, don't fast on Saturdays. So some scholars say, that's the meaning of the hadith. Ibn Qudama, rahimahullah, he said, 
our companions have said, and when he says our companions, meaning the scholars of the Hanbali madhab, it is makroo, it is disliked to single out Saturday for fasting. What is makroo or what is dislike is singling out that day. If he fasts another day along with it, then it is not makroo. It's not disliked because of the hadith of Abu Huraira and Juwayriya. If it coincides with the day that a person regularly fasts, it is not makroo. And what is intended by the hadith of Abu Huraira is that which is reported by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim. That Abu Huraira said, I heard the Prophet say, none of you should fast on Friday unless he fasts a day before it or a day after it. A day after is what? Saturday. So here is an exception to the rule. If you fast Friday and you didn't fast Thursday, you have to fast Saturday. It could be said, well, it's obligatory to fast Saturday in this case. So still didn't go against the hadith. Then you have the hadith of Jawadiya, which is also reported in the Sahih of Imam Bukhari, that the Prophet ﷺ entered upon her on Friday and she was fasting. And he said, did you fast yesterday? She said, no. He said, do you intend to fast tomorrow? She said, no. He said, then break your fast. Because you can't fast Friday by itself. If you fast on a Friday, you have to fast the day before it or the day after. So the scholars, they say, this hadith and the one before it clearly indicates that it is permissible to fast on a Saturday at times other than Ramadan for the one who fasts the Friday before it. Also, there is a narration in the Sahihain that the Prophet ﷺ said, the most beloved fasting to Allah is the fast of Dawood. And he used to fast every other day. So if a person is fasting the fast of Dawood, then there's going to come a time in which what? He fasts on Saturday. Right? So that's an exception to the rule. Because it's an every other day normal fast that you are doing. Also, the ulama, they say, if the Saturday coincides with a day of virtue, like the day of Arafah, as in this year, Arafah is on Saturday, or the day of Ashura, they say that it is allowed for a person to fast that day, not because it's Saturday, but because it is Arafah, or it is what? Ashura. Sheikh Uthaymeen, he says, it should be noted that different scenarios may apply with regard to fasting on Saturday. It may be obligatory, such as observing a Ramadan fast during Ramadan or making up a Ramadan fast or observing a fast as an expiation. 
or instead of offering a sacrifice when performing the Hajj Tamattur. Like for instance, if a person makes Hajj Tamattur and he doesn't have the animal to sacrifice, he has to fast three days there and then seven days when he returned back. It may be that one of those three days is a Saturday. Sheikh Uthameen says there is nothing wrong with that so long as he does not single it out deliberately, thinking that there is some virtue in that, meaning the virtue in Saturday. Another scenario, if he fasts on the Friday before, there is nothing wrong with him fasting on Saturday. Because the Prophet ﷺ said to one of the mothers of the believers who was fasting on a Friday, Did you fast yesterday, meaning Thursday? She said no. He said, Do you intend to fast tomorrow? She said no. The Prophet said, Then break your fast. So the words, Do you intend to fast tomorrow, indicate that it is permissible to fast on Saturday along with Friday. Another scenario, if it happens to be one of the white days, which is the 13th, 14th, and the 15th of the lunar calendar, or Arafah, or Ashura, or one of the six days of Shawwal, for the one who has fasted Ramadan, or it's one of the nine days of Dhul Hijjah. In this case, there's nothing wrong with that because the person is not fasting because it's Saturday. Rather, the person is fasting for those virtuous days that have been mentioned. Another scenario, when it happens to be a day when he habitually fasts, such as a person who habitually fasts every other day, the fast of Dawood. And the day that he fasts happens to fall on a Saturday. In this, in this case, there's nothing wrong. For the Prophet ﷺ forbade a person fasting one or two days before Ramadan except the man who normally fasts on those days. The other scenario, if he singles out Saturday to observe a voluntary fast for one day only, then this is what is forbidden. For... He said, if the hadith forbidding it is proven to be sahih. Because remember some of the scholars, they say that the narration prohibiting fasting on Saturdays, it is not authentic. So we, we can fast you on uh, Arafat? Only one we cover day. that, yes. Because it's a virtuous day. It's a virtuous day. So some of the ulama, they say, in this day, Saturday. Arafah is next Saturday. Yeah. So we have these different scenarios. And in this understanding, they bring the two texts together, the harmony. So yes, you should not fast on Saturday. Meaning, don't single out Saturday to fast, thinking that there's some virtue in Saturday. For there is no virtue on fasting on a Saturday. Don't magnify this day, because this is the day of the Jews. But now, if a person is fasting on a Saturday because of the things that have been mentioned, a person is fasting the fast of Dawood, 
Saturday happens to be Arafah, Saturday happens to be Ashura, Saturday happens to be one of the white days. And then in this case, the person is allowed to fast. However, if an individual is of the opinion that what Shaykh al-Albani rahimahullah ta'ala mentions regarding that narration that you should not fast Saturday at all unless it is an obligatory fast even if Arafah falls on that day or the likes then the person has leeway to do that however they should not make it a matter in which people are arguing and fighting over this issue this is a matter of fiqh a matter of jurisprudence where both sides have proof and it can be understood where both angles are coming from okay so if you find that a person holds the, that opinion so let's respect the opinion because it's based upon delil and if a person holds the other opinion respect the opinion because it's based upon delil don't start fighting and calling names and looking down upon someone over these type of issues. Inshallah yeah. ta'ala, we will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praise is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. Whatever is incorrect, it is for myself. Subhanakallahu alhamdulillah, shadu Allah ilaha 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 il